Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm Alex Wood, your host for this week's episode, taking you through some of the biggest stories and events that have happened in our city. So before we get started, a bit of housekeeping. You can rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcast from. Also, remember, you can follow us on Twitter and join in on the conversation by tweeting at IBL Podcast or you can find me personally at at Mr. Alex Wood. This week, we've got two fantastic guests joining us on the podcast, Bronwyn Weatherby and Joseph Smith. Uh, so first up, we will be listening to Joe. Now, Joe has been on the podcast previously, and uh, sadly, this will be his final appearance here with the IBL podcast. And in fact, here in the Bristol Live office, because he is leaving us. And we thought it'd be fitting to spend uh, a small segment of the show having a chat with Joe, looking back at his 18 months here as a trainee reporter. Uh, sort of his highlights, uh, including one particular story you may well know, and that is the Tinder poo story. So let's uh, let's get into that first conversation. Here's Joe. My name is Joe Smith. I am, for a few more hours at least, a news reporter here at Bristol Live and the Bristol Post. That is right. A few more hours. That is it. Because you are leaving us, sadly, after today. I am. I am. After a year and, is it five months? Of loyal service, <laughs> I am jumping ship and uh, heading across to join Southwest News up in Filton. Oh, that sounds exciting. And you are here today. We thought it was fitting. We record on a on a Wednesday and obviously the podcast goes out on a Friday and we thought you won't be here with us come Friday, but we will remember you with giving honouring you with a, a short slot here on the podcast this week. Uh, and you are going to, I think, take us down, trip down memory lane revisit your 18 months or so here at the Bristol Life, uh, Bristol Life, Bristol Live, Bristol Post. Share with us some of your favourite stories, your highlights. Is that right? Greatest hits. Greatest yeah. hits from Joe Smith. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, kick us off. You you joined, when was it? Remind us, what, what month, what year? April 2017. And, and pre-joining here, had you worked as a reporter or journalist before? A solid two months uh, in Yeovil, working for Somerset Live. And how, when you came here, how did it compare to your previous two-month stint? Um, straight off the bat, bigger newsroom, Bristol's yep. a much busier patch, mm-hmm. more stuff happening, more big news happening. You know, sure. fairly often stuff will happen here that ends up in the Nationals the next day. Mm-hmm. That's something that didn't happen so much in my previous job. No, that's what I love about it. You know, it's a big, busy news patch. The newsroom's always buzzing. There's lots going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're very much aware of of that coming in to the Bristol? I mean, is that what drew you to, to Bristol and the Bristol Post Office? Ah, uh, well, if you'll allow me to get corny for a second. Yeah, yeah, come on. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist for a long time. And I remember telling my mum when I was a kid that I wanted to be a journalist. 
and she recommended that I did some work experience in the Bristol Post. She was like, the Bristol Post is the best local paper around. You should go and do hey. some work experience for them. Uh-huh. And I... I took it to heart. I mean, I didn't, in the end, end up doing that. As, 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 <laughs> yeah. as things, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I would have loved to. But as things turned out, I actually did uh, some work experience at the now closed offices of the Central Somerset Gazette in Wales. Mm-hmm. And despite that, I uh, decided to be a journalist anyway and <laughs> carried on. And uh, But that stayed in my mind that the Bristol Post was the best local paper around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many years later, after, you know, freelancing and training and whatnot, I, when a job came up here... Mm. I thought, yeah, I'll go for that. that that's, you know, that's the Bristol Post. That's going to be good. So my mum said it was good. Yeah, it must be good, it right? Be good. If, if it gets yeah. the seal of approval from the mum, then it's... Well, it's... Yeah, deep down in my psyche, <laughs> it, was a, it was a good paper to work at. And and she was right, bless her. It has been. It's been a fantastic place to, uh, to you know, do my first cut bit teeth, of... Yeah. Cut my teeth, yeah. Absolutely. So let's let's look at then your, your showreel, your highlights from your time here at the Bristol Post because you've had some truly incredible stories just as a you know as, as a you. colleague and and as someone who you know reads our website um i have to say you come into the office usually with probably stories that no other reporter will find and uh, i mean some of the stories are hopefully you're going to share of that ilk um so let's just jump into it. what what stories would you want to share with us on the podcast well, that is those kind words first of all <laughs> thank you very much um i suppose we'll start at the top let's do it with uh what is undoubtedly my most famous story ever to <laughs> come out of my pen here at the bristol post i'm glad you said pen <laughs> <laughs> uh this is the worldwide viral sensation that was the tinder poo date story tinder poo date story. now just Remind me, and anyone, if, if they're listening on the podcast and they're thinking, I wasn't here this time last year when this story came out, you may have seen uh, a version of it, maybe, maybe in the BBC Pigeon service, for example, that picked it up. But <laughs> what is this story? Where, where did this come from? This is the unlikely but true tale of student Liam Smith, uh, who went on a Tinder date with a young woman, went back to his house in Clifton. Things were going well. She, uh, They're watching a film together. She mm. excused herself to use the bathroom. She'd gone a while, returned to the living room and told Liam that there'd been a mishap in the bathroom. Oh dear. It wasn't good. <laughs> okay. What had happened was the young lady in question had uh, done a poo, which was unflushable. We've all been there. They happen sometimes. Obviously, first date is not a great situation with that. So her response to this had been to wrap the offending article in toilet paper and fling it out of what she thought was an open window. As you do. Uh, as you do. I mean, you know, it's a creative response to a stressful situation. I, I can't imagine the panic going through her head at this point in time, but continue. Um, turns out this window was actually two panes of glass, so the open window <laughs> opened onto another closed window. The poo got stuck between these two panes of glass. Um she came and told Liam this and being a gentleman, he was like, it's okay, we can, we can solve this problem. So they went back to the bathroom together. He, the window, only the top half of the window opens. So he had to kind of boost her up so you could reach down inside between these two panes of glass and retrieve the article in question, um, which she managed to do. But in doing so, she became stuck upside down between these two panes of glass. Um, the fire brigade were called. It was a whole thing. They removed the window pane. Uh, a few days later, Liam posts a crowdfunding uh, appeal to buy himself a new window. Someone sent me a link to it. 
I couldn't believe it until the fire brigade confirmed that this had happened. I thought it was a hoax, but it turned out to be yeah, the most well-read story I've ever written. Totally legit story confirmed by the fire. And we, we did speak to Liam as well, didn't we? We did have some chat with him. Yeah, I chatted to Liam quite a few times uh, throughout the course. It was interesting talking to him as the story kind of went viral. And it really mm. did go around the world. It, it was translated yeah. into Chinese and Hindi. It was the primetime news in Perth, Australia. Mm. It really went everywhere. And watching the effect on his life, poor guy, it was his... um final dissertation week for his That's it, yeah. masters i think mm-hmm. the busy that time for him very anyway. busy time for him but i've met him since and um yeah various tv appearances and stuff he's done off the back of that uh i think he was able to actually pay off his master's course which is incredible when yeah. you consider where we started with a, a crowdfunder what was it like a couple of hundred quid to replace a broken window yeah to that is um is that i mean and and i don't want to i suppose get too analytical with this but as a journalist then as, as someone who's you know fairly new into the industry you're seeing this story literally blow up and i mean there's no exaggeration here that was as you say it went right around the world mm. in our own newsroom you know there was a real buzz uh as, as comical as it is um it, you know the news story just flew mm. um what was that like for you as a, as a as a young journalist, shall we say, a trainee, um, seeing that for the first time, presumably? It was incredibly gratifying. I remember when I first found the story, we have a, a report, reporter's WhatsApp group mm-hmm. that all the editorial staff are in. And I shared it in there, the, the, the link to Liam's crowdfunder. Before I wrote the story, before anything else, I did anything else, I shared it in that group with the just the phrase I think I said ladies and gentlemen the greatest story of my career and shared it and I watched as different groups of people around the office gathered around monitors and started weeing themselves <laughs> and I knew at that point it was going to be a great story and then watching it around the world was just just brilliant but um it didn't really have much to do with me it was the story around mm, the world yeah. I was just I mean I think I gained all of two or three twitter followers <laughs> Woo! Uh, <laughs> um you know my my name was nowhere in lights I didn't pay off my uh, master's sure, degree yeah. <laughs> uh, I was I was just the the conduit through yes. which the story went but it was yeah. very nice to see it go that far and and moving it then slightly on from Tinderpoo cuz I don't want you just to be known as Tinderpoo the guy who wrote the Tinderpoo story There's more to me than Tinderpoo I really want to explore that aspect so we you know what other stories will you look back on at your time with a bit of pride because um, you mean I, we've, I mean I don't want to I don't know if it's going to you know, mention this one but we, we did some stories about burglaries last time last year yeah we did an excellent which, uh, series of stories together we did well, it was, well see that was more you coming with the case studies and the and the, the actual victims of burglaries in and Bristol, then you came with the figures uh, the numbers is, to back yeah. those up so. but, but together you know dream team dream team and um, but yeah I mean what are, what are the stories sure no that i was going to mention that one so this was um uh, a spate of burglaries that happened <coughs> in east bristol mm-hmm. which i began reporting on um <clears throat> every time i wrote one of these stories we put up on facebook and the comments would be full of people saying the same thing happened to me uh, a common thread was that the police weren't responding to these story uh, burglaries mm. um as proactively as the victims would have liked perhaps um so we picked this up and, and i did several stories about it culminating in the big uh shared piece we wrote together using your numbers and my anecdotes or anecdotal mm-hmm. evidence from from victims which um led the police to reveal that they'd been forced to close their specialist burglar unit which no one knew that no. was that wasn't common knowledge it wasn't public knowledge um but they admitted that budget cuts had forced them to um mm. to completely scrap the burglar unit and you know as a result 
there was a huge, I can't remember the numbers now, but no, a huge no, amount no, of burglaries no, no. went unsolved in Bristol. When that's come back around recently in the news, you know, the yeah. amount of unsolved burglaries has been, um, I was contacted, contacted by a producer from ITN about oh, really? those very stories uh, earlier this week. Ah, I see. He wants to, you know, dig up the, the people and, yeah, and do yeah. stories about it. It's back in the news. Um, yeah. Other things I'm proud of. I'm just going to do a list. Now. <laughs> yeah. I'm list them off. Why not? You know, I'm going. This might as well uh, do the glory lap or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of NHS stories I'm very proud of. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. During the winter crisis, mm-hmm. uh, we received a leaked memo from a member of staff at Southmead Hospital um, from management to uh, to medical staff, doctors, mm-hmm. nurses, kind of, and it this this memo sort of really revealed the extent to which the the NHS winter crisis had, had hit. Mm-hmm. You know, hospitals here, um, staff were on their knees with the pressure. Um, they were running out of things like face masks. It was. It seemed like, you know, painted a picture. The NHS is quite hard to, mm. to get inside and report on sometimes, and, and this painted a picture of, yes. of what these very hard-working healthcare professionals are up against, mm-hmm. trying to keep us all safe. And that led to other stories. Um, nurses came forward and talked to me, you know, anonymously about... Mm the stresses they they face um you know people taking anxiety medication to come into work those are stories i was glad i was able to tell i feel like you know in my own little way Mm. you know foregrounding that that was that was satisfying for me i mean health was an area that you expressed you know quite early on that was an area you're interested in as a journalist um and have you know explored various angles uh including organs that get left on the road right through as you say to heartfelt sort of personal stories about the crisis that is you know going on behind closed doors within the nhs or so it seems mm. um now that you are obviously leaving us uh is there anything looking back on your time here at bristol live that you f- re- not regret but maybe look back on and wish you had explored more or anything that you any missed opportunities here at bristol that you wish by putting you on the spot here. No. <laughs> Is there anything that you wish you'd you'd kind of got your teeth into a little bit more? Yeah, I wanted to do an article or a series of articles about um, the possibility of Bristol having drug consumption rooms. Mm-hmm. So this is something that they've been looking at in some cities, Glasgow, I think Durham, um, West Midlands perhaps. Mm-hmm. The police and crime commissioners and the councils of these cities and areas have been... Um, getting together and they said look they, they, it costs so much money to police the crime that mm. drug addiction causes you know burglaries car theft all that stuff that people steal to fund their habits it'll actually be much much cheaper to have public consumption rooms where people can access drugs safely um they can come there they can they can inject with clean needles um these people are very hard to reach normally so if they're in one place mm. once a day or twice a day that means that services can access them and they can you know get the help they need mm. Um, and we don't have that in Bristol uh, currently no I mean the government has a zero tolerance policy on drugs but what's happened in some cities is that there's discussion at least between uh, police and crime commissioners and Mm. councils of of doing their own thing and maybe breaking away from that government line and it would actually save them a lot of money Um, one of the police forces crunched the numbers and it's it's millions and millions Mm. they spend on, on this crime that comes from drug addiction whereas if you just make it easier and safer to be a drug addict you actually end up cutting out a lot of that i don't know what the answer is mm. but i think it's worth Exploring. looking into i think bristol would be um an interesting place to to, mm-hmm. to look at that so that's something i wanted to do but i haven't got around to doing so who knows maybe sure maybe uh i'll send it in as a yeah i was gonna say well either so, someone's gonna pick it up or um is that something we might expect to see from you in your new role perhaps i mean well, i don't know i don't know what my, my new role is gonna be <laughs> 
more sort of nationally focused, I think. So yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to have time. If there'll be an appetite for it. If I can pitch uh-huh. it, I will definitely. Sure. Yeah, we'll see. So that was, yeah, that's all of my questions, I suppose, uh, regarding your, your time here mm-hmm. in the Bristol Live office. But if anyone's listening, obviously, as you said, you're still reporting. You'll still be Bristol-based. Yeah. Um, obviously, any stories they might send to you, they should now send to us. But they they can no, get no, in touch please, with you. Please do. Find me on Facebook. <laughs> send them straight to me. No, no, no. no cut that. <laughs> um, but yes, you are still, you know, you're Bristol-based, still reporting. And, I'll and be here. We will see your name, I'm sure, in... Other Tinderpoo-related national stories, hopefully. International stories, maybe, in the future? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Joe, thank you very much. Thank you very much, and thank you to everyone at Bristol Live and the Bristol Post who's made the last 18 months really, really special. Oh, there you have it. That was uh, the one and only Joe Smith who has uh, parted ways with us now. That's his final appearance on the Inside Bristol Live podcast and his final uh, as a reporter for Bristol Live. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation. Next, uh, we've got something a little bit more serious, uh, a little bit more newsy, which is something we like to do on the podcast from time to time. Uh, it's a chat with Bronwyn Weatherby, who is a bit of a regular on, on the podcast. And um, she has been spending an awful lot of time over the the last few weeks and months, in fact, investigating uh, a tipping scandal uh, is how it's been referred to. Uh, some restaurants uh, in Bristol uh, and just generally uh, the, the, the restaurant industry generally. So she is here to have a chat with us about her recent expose on Turtle Bay. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back to <laughs> Thank you. the podcast. Bit of a, a regular uh, on the show now. Bit of a yeah, regular contributor. Which is good. And host. Yes, yeah. All new format, which is, you know, my turn this week to ask the questions. And yeah. you are here today to talk us through your latest stories. Yes. On tipping tax, mm. if I've described it correctly there. I think you have, yeah. yeah. Um, and a particular restaurant that your story, fo- or the last story, focused on. Yeah. Um, you know, a little while in the making. Do you want to just talk us through, you know, what what went into this story? Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, back in January, I reported that a local food chain, Aqua Italia, was using a certain uh, tipping policy, which meant that their workers had to pay 3% on all their table sales uh, back to the company from their tips. Um caused quite a stir in Mm. Bristol and uh, I was later contacted by um, staff at another restaurant which has uh, sites in Bristol um, which is Turtle Bay saying that the same was going on uh, Mm -hmm. in those restaurants. Um, What's significant about Turtle Bay when it's got dozens of uh, restaurants in the UK, um, mm. everywhere you go, every it's sort of major, huge, so, huge chain, yeah, it's a, it's a huge chain. Um, but also, its founder, um, uh, Adjith, his, his first name is. They, uh, he, you know, he's from Bristol. Well, he's founded most of his restaurants in Bristol. He's the founder of, of Turtle Bay and Las Iguanas, mm-hmm. um, which he's he has sold now. But he's also a director at Aqua Italia. So you're getting a bit of a flavour of why it's so significant. Theme for Bristol mm-hmm. um, because it also these these restaurants are linked it's not an anomaly mm. that um, they all use this policy and off the back of the reaction we had at the aqua stories I felt like it was in the public interest 
to follow up on uh, what staff were telling me was going on at Turtle Bay, mm-hmm. basically. So if I've got so that's so if I've got this right, the tipping tax essentially is. I'm a waiter and I'm I'm covering certain tables for the night. Mm. I've earned say thirty pound X amount in tips. And now I at the end of the night when we're cashing up would have to give three percent of those tips. No. No. See this is where um where I even stumbled when okay. I was first told about this. Um honestly someone had to tell me like ten times before it clicked okay. and I was gobsmacked. So no, it, it's not three percent of, of the amount. So it's uh-huh. not three percent of thirty pounds that goes back to the company. Um whatever you think of that, that would be a relatively small amount. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in speaking generally. However, it's not that. It's 3% of your total table sales. Now, Turtle Bay right. and Aqua um, are, are restaurants where a individual waiter will have a set number of tables that they look after for that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever those tables of an entire evening spend on food and drink, what they have to pay back will be 3% of that total amount. Um it is now, just to make things slightly more complicated, Turtle Bay do now cap the amount that waiters have to pay back at £25. Right. So a, a max that you or I, any waiter, would have to pay Yeah. would always be a max £25. Yeah, it was £40 right. when they initially uh, introduced a cap. I'm not sure when they introduced this cap. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they lowered it to 25 which is... You know, it is a positive step if you can look at it like that. Um, However, speaking to staff at the restaurant, because Turtle Bay isn't necessarily the type of restaurant uh, where you'd expect the highest tips. um, I've got to I've got to admit, you know, if I was going to go to a Turtle Bay, I don't think I would necessarily tip unless, Mm. you know, unless the sort of service I I got was, you know, like beyond the pale amazing. Um, Whereas, say, Aqua Italia, it's it's a little bit fancier. um, Mm. And I think more people are inclined to tip in those kind of restaurants than they are a place like Turtle Bay. Mm -hmm. So what the staff at Turtle Bay were saying was, um, although it's capped at 25, you might only get £30 in tips that night. And then you have to pay the full 25 back. Mm. And it is courtesy to tip out the bartenders on top of that, 10% of your tips. Mm-hmm. So that might be £3. Um, and then you've got a case where, um, you know, this was generally speaking from from the staff take on it. You have a case where you're going home with you know, very little to no amount of your mm. tips left. So, you know, two or three pound by the end of the night, even though you've earned 10 times that amount mm-hmm. in tips, which for a lot of people, um, the public, for people who work there, they find that extremely unfair and that mm-hmm. this isn't my take on it. That's what they've said. No. Um, and they don't see any reason why the company should take that. Mm. I mean, are customers even aware that this is happening? Because before your coverage, I don't think I was necessarily aware that this is quite widespread within the sort of restaurant industry. It seems to be anyway. Um, You know, do customers who are going into Turtle Bay or Aquatalid know that this is happening? Um, Some will be, I think there's 
some people who will be aware that this might still be going on in Turtle Bay. And the only reason for that would be that in 2015, this tipping practice was actually, um, you know, revealed by uh, The Guardian um, and The Observer. And I think The Independent also also did um, a story on it. Mm. It was a huge national story. Um it was it was while there was lots of stories going on about um, things like tipping policy and things like that in restaurants. Um, Turtle Bay and Las Iguanas were found to be doing this tipping practice and it became a huge national story in 2015. It led to the then business secretary calling for, you know, um, a change of policy and more regulations about what restaurants and things um, should... Um, should be doing when it comes to tips and, and what workers' rights should mm. be and things. So there was like a huge review. There was like, you know, there was an inquiry into it. But since then, uh, although I guess things have been going on underneath the surface, um, things quietened down. And I think the significance of the story I did this week was not that it's happening, because a lot of people will know from 2015 that it, it is a thing, but that it's still happening mm. despite the public reaction, despite politicians. Yeah, despite mm. despite a backlash and despite a move by politicians to try and tighten up the regulations mm. and make it slightly uh, fairer, in their words, sure. um, to workers who are on minimum wage. And it's interesting you talked about politicians and the politics of it because obviously you're expose in your coverage earlier mm. this year um, particularly around aqua mm. did obviously lead with you being invited by I think Darren Jones the MP yeah. for Bristol to attend a, a sort of conversation in Parliament yeah. is that right yeah he he managed to get a Westminster debate um, to discuss exactly this mm-hmm. Um tipping policies and workers' rights within the hospitality industry. Um, And it was a really successful debate. Um, And then afterwards, uh, people like myself and uh, workers who'd actually experienced uh, this tipping policy. So you had had actually... First-hand accounts. Yeah, Yeah. first-hand. And in that meeting, you had... um, ex-employees of Turtle Bay who were there when uh, the 2015 expose by mm-hmm. The Guardian uh, was published. Um, and they they shared their experiences of what happened in the company after that, mm-hmm. which was not a lot. Sure. Yeah. I mean, is, is, it sounds like, you know, if, if, if there's been big media coverage, certainly in the past couple of years, going back to 2015, and it sounds like, you know, obviously your re- work on a regional level and it's, you know, there's debates happening in parliament there is obviously a conversation going on around it but is there any one solution that we're working towards i mean how can this be overcome if so many waiters obviously are against it what's what's holding it back at the moment in your opinion i'm not sure um i'm not sure I think it, it's incredibly difficult um, to regulate these things at the moment because there is barely any regulation. Of course, we've got things like the minimum wage and the living wage and things now. You know, for any listeners, you know, this isn't a company trying to uh, deduct from minimum wage. They're not doing that because that would be illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, what they are saying they're doing with it is that they're paying for staff perks like um, summer parties and winter parties and regional staff parties and um, 
it's going towards paying the back of house staff like chefs and kitchen porters mm-hmm. and things like that a higher wage so a higher than minimum wage right. again lots of staff disagree with turtle that bay concept. and aqua doing that mm. because other restaurants do not do that but at the moment restaurants are generally reporting a downturn in um in profits mm. and so i think there is a reluctancy um within the government to put more pressure on the industry when it's already facing pressure at the moment but i wouldn't be i couldn't tell you why why it is that that there isn't more action being taken on this because um you know restaurants like turtle bay are still posting you know huge huge profits and you know turtle bay is one of the the biggest growing companies as announced um you know last Mm. year um so it is doing well um and i think what its staff is saying is that they they feel like they're not being treated. They're having their tips taken away from them, even though the company is doing well and it's growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other thing is they don't they don't think they're getting enough perks in return for the amount they're giving over. They're actually spending, yeah. Um, finally, anyone who might be listening to our podcast, we hope there is someone listening. But maybe if they're <laughs> a, a waiter or a waitress in Bristol, or, or even just you know our general patch area, um, maybe they've experienced this at, at restaurants that they've worked in or are working in. What would your sort of message be to them? Um, maybe to come forward. Uh, yeah, I mean this this whole the 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 Turtle Bay story. Um, it it came out of someone uh, ringing me up and approaching me about the issue. And one of the first things they said was after the Aqua Italia story, we were expecting something on Turtle Bay. We were expecting wow. the next story for you to expose Turtle Bay. And I said to them, I can't do that unless people come forward and tell me, you know, because I'm not going to know what's going on in every business. Mm. And, and, and a lot of the time, even if I do hear whispers and things, you know, I have to substantiate that with evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes people coming forward and giving me that evidence. So if you are so inclined, you know, I would recommend go into your local newspaper, be that, you know, Bristol Live or, or anywhere else in the UK, um, or go into your MP. Going to your local politician, they are certainly there are certainly moves in uh, Westminster right now um, to change the law or change certain or amend the law in certain ways to close up these loopholes. Um, make your voice heard, you know. And if if there's a lot of you in a company who disagree with something that's going on, get together and again make your voice heard because it's not something you necessarily have to just accept. Mm. Um, These are people who... I've done a million waiting jobs in my time and bar jobs. It's a hard job and you're on minimum wage and, um, you know, tips and gratuities and things like that can make a lot of difference. It matters. Yeah, it it matters to people. Mm -hmm. And so if something's not done about making how we split those tips up and how gratuities are shared among staff and businesses, if if that isn't regulated, then you're going to, I think, see a lot more restaurants and companies move towards this kind of system of taking percentage of of tips from Mm -hmm. people. Um, And at the end of the day, it's... 
it's making people very unhappy, which can't be good for the industry itself no. anyway. Going back to something that you said about do pe- are people aware? Um, this isn't just down to the people who work within those companies. If you yourself are someone who goes to restaurants, which I think most people are at one point or another during a month, and you care about workers' rights and you care about the people who serve you this food, um, then ask Always ask. Ask the waiter um, what what happens to your tips, the how policy? they shared mm-hmm. out. Um, if I pay on card, will it go to you? If I pay in cash, will it go to you? Um, have that conversation with them. Um, it, it, in, you know, it encourages transparency, which, again, there's not enough of in the industry at the moment. You, work, you walk into Turtle Bay and, you know, there's nothing to say we take... Um, just to let you know, we take 3% of table sales from our waiters' tips. Mm. There's nothing to say that. And so you're giving over a hefty tip, most of which could be going to back to the company. Sure. So as as a member of the public and someone who eats in restaurants, you should also maybe be aware of what these companies are doing with their tips and ask the question. Be Don't open. be afraid to. That mm. That is your right. It's your right to know what's happening to your, your money. And where it's going towards. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Brilliant. Well, that was quite a comprehensive answer <laughs> to a very open-ended question. So, um, that was, yeah, thank you very much for coming in. And no um, problem. Obviously, those stories are up on our website, bristollive.co.uk. They are. Um, go find that, read it. Um, and, and, yeah, thank you for coming in. No problem. Thanks, Alex. And there we have it. That was uh, Bronwyn Weatherby, in her own words, talking us through her most recent work on the tipping scandal here in Bristol. Uh, well, that's it from us uh, on the most recent episode of Inside Bristol Live. Of course, if you liked what you've heard, uh, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts from. And if you liked what you heard or if you didn't, feel free to join in on the conversation on Twitter. You can find us at IBL Podcast or you can find me personally at Mr. Alex Wood. Thank you very much for listening.